This morning we want to talk a little bit about being thankful. And the story that we're looking at talks about, take, takes a blind man, Bartimaeus, and in the middle of difficult circumstances, in the middle of just a, a troubling life, a life that seems lost, a life that seems worthless, he is, has an encounter with the Lord of the universe. And he has an encounter with Jesus Christ that changes everything. And as I was studying and and going through Thanksgiving, it it reminded me, how many things don't we hear we're thankful for at Thanksgiving? Very few people say, you know, I'm thankful that today was the lousiest, or this year was the lousiest year I've had yet. I've never heard that around the Thanksgiving table. Or I'm thankful that, that we had health problems this year. Or I'm thankful that I don't have a job. You don't hear those things. Because when we, when we think of being grateful, when we think of the things we're thankful for, we jump to the good things, and rightfully so. But this morning, I want to focus a little bit on what do we do in difficult times? Can we still be thankful? Can we still have a, a spirit of thanksgiving? Can we still be grateful to our Lord and Savior? And if so, how? Because in the story today, in the encounter today, we find a man whose life was worse than any of our lives, but who followed Christ and who jumped to follow Christ. We see a very different picture of a man who truly understood who Christ was. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We'll be starting at verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And the section that we're going to study today really marks the end of a larger, a middle section of Mark. A section where where Jesus is teaching about what it means to be a disciple. What it means to follow Him. And so He's ending with the healing of a blind man. If you have your finger in Mark 10, and I, I know I'm going to change passages real quickly, but keep your finger there and just flip back a few pages to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And do you see that story? That started this section. Story of the partial healing of the blind man and then the full healing in front of the disciples. And Jesus is using that healing to show how He's now beginning to teach what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be heading to the cross, what His purpose is that we should copy. And so He he starts with that story of the blind man and then jump back to the passage for today, Mark 10, 46. And he ends this section with the story of healing of another blind man. And, and he bookends this section that says, how should we live? What does a disciple look like? Last week and the week before, we talked about a disciple looks like a servant. A disciple looks like a servant. And that was the culmination of the teaching throughout this entire section. And we get to this miracle, and this is the last miracle that the Gospel of Mark records. Before the last healing before the cross. And so, this miracle holds a place of prominence. And it's easy to come to this story and say, oh, it's just another blind guy. It's just another encounter with Christ. But there's a reason why all three Matthew, Mark, Luke of the Synoptic Gospels record it. There's a reason why Mark records it with such detail. Because it had a place of significance as a milestone of what it meant to be a disciple. An example of what it meant to be a disciple. 
So this morning we want to come to it not just as a story of another blind guy, but a story of a man who exhibited what it meant to have an attitude of servanthood, an attitude of discipleship. In the middle of adversity, in the middle of circumstances in his life that were horrible, he still had an attitude of a servant. Let's start reading at verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. We have one verse of setting. And it's important to understand the setting. If we can put up that map, Jacob, just a little bit of geography. If you, if you follow the, the red line, this is probably Jesus' road to Jerusalem. And he's come down, and, and if you look at the bottom here, he's over in Perea, and he crosses the Jordan back to Jericho. And if you notice, we are almost to Jerusalem. We're about 15 to 18 miles from Jerusalem, a short walk for them. And this is the last major city before he's going to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem represents the cross, it represents the resurrection, it represents the, the kingdom that he is going to be um, bringing, a kingdom of forgiveness of sins. And so in this last place in Jericho, when you would think that, that Jesus' focus is completely on the cross and what's going to happen, because he knows the trials that are, are happening, in this last place, there's a man sitting by the side of the road. We know from the text that it was Jericho. He's leaving Jericho with his disciples. There's a big crowd with him. And so a group of people have formed, some believers, some probably not, some just wondering what's going to happen in Jerusalem. There's this buzz, and he's saying all these weird things about dying and rising again. Let's go see. And so there's this, this group that's heading with them in this crowd, and they get outside Jericho, and there's this man sitting on the side of the road, Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was probably blind from birth. This was probably his state in life. And in their culture, there was nothing that a blind man could do except beg. You sat on the side of the road, and, and you took your cloak, and if it was warm enough, you spread your cloak out in front of you, and that's where people gave the money, because then at the end of the day, you could feel around for it, and you could wrap all, you, all the money back up in the cloak. If it was cold, and, and this was probably early spring, it probably was a little chilly, you could wrap it around yourself and leave part of it for the money that would be coming in. But a blind man and a beggar had no rights. They had no temple privileges. They were unclean. And people would just ignore them. Because along the road, there would be all kinds of people begging. And, and you know how it is. When we see people begging driving, and when we see it over and over and over again, you, you almost start to, to miss it, don't you? And that's what happens here. So this man is begging. He's completely dependent. That's his only way of making a living. And he's just hoping someone notices. It's, it's not a place in life that has much hope. It's not a place in life that you can say, I'm going to move up the ladder. Maybe get a better spot on the road. It, that You're stuck. Completely dependent on other people. And, and it's important to understand that setting, to understand the impact of what Jesus does for him. An ignored, despised, rejected man, low on the totem pole. Dependent on charity, dependent on people for guidance. And this 
was the man that Jesus chose to talk to when he's focused on the cross. Amazing. So let's look at the, the rest of the passage. And I want to share five things with you from Bartimaeus' response. Five things from his response that helps us understand what should our response be to Jesus. What attitude should we have in discipleship, especially when life seems to have given us a raw deal? First point, we need to learn to trust in the right source for help. Trust in the right source for help. Read verse 47 with me. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. As you read that, there's a couple of things to notice there. He began to cry out. This, this started a process that he cried and cried and cried. To cry out would be to cry out with a loud voice. I would love to just yell, but with the microphone, you, yeah. Son of David, have mercy on me. And what we see Bartimaeus doing is recognizing who is coming down the road. See, we think of this, oh yeah, he's just saying Jesus. But to use the term Son of David, to use the term Son of David was a huge statement. First time in the book of Mark we see this this title, by the way. And to the Jews, the term Son of David was a term that meant He is the Messiah, He is the King in the line of David. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that we've been hoping for. It was a title of royalty. It was a title of honor. And right from the start, it was a sign of faith. It was a sign of faith. To say Jesus, a man, is the son of David, the King, the Messiah, is a statement of sight that no one else seemed to have gotten. We just saw two or three chapters of Jesus repeating this over and over for the disciples, trying to help them understand what His role would be and that He is the Messiah, but it's a different kind of kingdom. But this blind man sees more than most. He sees the royal authority. He sees the throne of David. Helen Keller, when asked if it was terrible to be blind, said, it's better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. This man saw Jesus. And he didn't see him as just a man. He didn't see him as just another healer. He doesn't even ask for healing right now. He sees him as the Messiah. And as we go through times that we are struggling to be thankful for, times we don't understand, the first place we need to start is to realize we are sons and daughters of the Messiah, of the King. And Jesus Christ is the place to go. We go all kinds of other places to solve problems. I'm embarrassed sometimes when, when we're going through trials that it seems like some, sometimes prayer is the last thing we go to. It's like, oh yeah, nothing else worked. Well, of course nothing else worked. They were all the wrong sources. And the blind man says, Jesus, son of David. A couple of verses that help us understand 
why that phrase, why that term meant so much to them. In Jeremiah 23.5, one of the prophecies, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The prophecy is there will be a son of David, a branch of David that will bring a kingdom. Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And the prophecy again is is not saying that David himself is still alive. David has died and, and he's in the grave. But that a descendant of David will be the great shepherd. What a prophecy of comfort to a people that were in oppression. To a people that were in exile. And so for him to say, son of David, he's saying, the king is coming, the Messiah is coming, my shepherd is coming. The people were impatient with the man. The people wanted to get to Jerusalem and see what the kingdom was. The blind man just wanted to see Jesus. Another interesting just side note. In verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. What's missing? If, if I was to come to one of you, let's say that I came to Joey here and said, Okay, Jack Pine is coming. What's his question going to be? Who? What? And, and the blind man's hearing the commotion. He's hearing the crowds. He's like, man, someone's coming. That's important. So he's, who is it? Who is it? And someone says, it's Jesus. He doesn't have to ask who Jesus is. He doesn't have to go through and research and find out. His next response is, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we see in this blind man a man that was ready for Jesus. A man that had already been seeking. A man that already had learned who Jesus was. A man that was listening and ready to hear from the King. We need to trust in the right source for help. When we go through difficulties, when we are are in difficult times, our foundation is that the God of the universe is still God. He is still sovereign, which means He is in control. None of this surprises him. And so I can rest in that. I can have peace in that. Why should I worry? The son of David is here. The son of David. And we can be thankful for that. Second thing we learn from Bartimaeus is we need to learn to be aware of our need. Be aware of our need. Same verse, verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, and then the last part of his request, have mercy on me. We might think, well, his need was the blindness. Maybe he should have started there. Jesus, Son of Nazareth, I'd like to see. But is that his real need? Is that the foundational need that any of us have with our external circumstances? No. Our need is in our heart. 
And instead, he says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He was pitifully aware of his condition and his lowliness. And that in light of the king, he is here. And so instead of asking for his physical needs, he asked for mercy. Instead of being like the brothers who come to Jesus and say, will you give us what we want? And start with their physical needs. This is a direct contrast to that story just just a few verses back. The brothers ask for what they want. This man puts himself under, in humility, the king, and says, just have mercy on me. See, the idea of having mercy on someone is to put yourself under their will. To put yourself under their power and authority. It literally means to be concerned and help someone who is in need. And so when, when the man says, have mercy on me, he is saying, I can't help myself. I just want you to care about me and I trust you to help me. With whatever that means, I trust you to help me. What a difference from we'd like the right hand and we'd like the left hand. Thank you very much. Do you see the difference in attitude? Do you see why Jesus is using this healing to culminate his teaching on discipleship and servanthood? This man knew his need. And he said, I've been here my whole life. He didn't say it, but he's, I've been here my whole life. What I just need is the touch of a Savior in my heart, in my spirit. I don't deserve your attention. I don't deserve anything. But please have mercy on me. We have a wonderful illustration of what it means to come to the kingdom as a child. Which also was in this section. The blind man came to the kingdom as a child, not expecting anything, not demanding anything, but simply saying, you are God, I am not. Have mercy on me. Help my heart. Help my deepest needs. See, mercy involves relationship. Healing doesn't. If you think about the difference... Mercy involves relationship. When someone has mercy, they are coming alongside to help. They are paying attention. They are having compassion. They are showing care. Healing could be, you're healed. See you later. Completely different request. So the man is acknowledging he needs the Savior. As we talked about two weeks ago, I am convicted about how we pray with this man. See, there's different levels of prayer. We can pray on a surface level, which is all our physical needs. And and God says He cares about those things, and we're to pray about those, and we're going to see that later in the passage. And we can live there. And we can say, okay, I I need a job. This person needs to be healed. The car needs to be fixed. We're we're low on finances. We have all those things. and, And we should pray for those. Just not first. That's not where we start. There's a whole nother level of prayer that says, I just need to be under you and your authority. I need to trust you. My heart trusts you. In a difficult situation, we can pray, Lord God, just make this stop. Or we could pray, Lord God, draw me close to you through this. 
you see the difference? One accomplishes nothing except some external comfort. The other changes our life forever. I would bet every person in here could think of some very trying times, if not this last year in your life. And as you think about those, do you intentionally think about how you drew closer to God through those times? Or do you just say, I'm glad it's done? Because if you're just glad it's done, then the experience is wasted. Don't waste trouble. Draw close to God. Ask for His mercy. We need to sit with that beggar on the Jericho Road, blind, begging for mercy, crying out. When I was a little younger, I did a lot more rock climbing. and enjoy rock climbing. And it's, it's interesting, with, with rock climbing, there's all kinds of gear and, and all kinds of things to, to keep you safe. But on TV, what do you usually see? You see the guys that are going with no gear. It's called soloing. You know, I, there's this thousand, thousand feet cliff, foot cliff. I'm just going to climb it. And they just scamper up. And those are the guys that usually die. <laughs> and give the rest of the sport a bad name. And I'm, I'm not kidding. That those are the accidents because why? They have, they have come to a conclusion, I don't need that help. I don't need that support. And when we come to the conclusion, well, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, I don't need God for even the normal things, we're soloing a cliff and one slip and we're gone. And that slip will happen. Do we trust God and place ourselves at His mercy? Bartimaeus did. He trusted in the right source for help because the wrong source doesn't help. He was aware of his need and came to Christ out of that need instead of demanding. Third thing we learn in verse 48, we need to be persistent. We need to be persistent. I love this part of the story. And many rebuked him. Now now the many there, at first I thought, oh, the disciples just don't get it again. But, but the many there is actually referring to the crowd. So, so the whole crowd's coming. They're walking through. They're excited. Let's get to Jerusalem. It's only 15 miles away. We are almost there. As you know, when you get to the end of a trip, it's like, we're going. Don't distract me. And this guy is yelling out, the lowest of society is yelling out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so they rebuke him. They say, would you be quiet? Stop it. This is Jesus. He has more important things than you. They told him to be quiet, to be silent. But then the second half of verse 48, but he cried out all the more. He used the rebuke. He used the, 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 the thing that would stand in his way. He used the obstacle as an opportunity to cry out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he shamelessly cried out in the middle of rebuke, in the middle of adversity, because he knew nothing else was what he needed except Jesus. And he was persistent. He let nothing stop him from seeking the Lord. 
And I think about that. And I think about when, when we go through difficult times, what discourages us? What can stand in the way and stop us from seeking the Lord? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's a situation that has been years, something you've been praying for for years. And it's like, well, God hasn't answered it yet. He hasn't answered it on my timetable. So then we start to doubt that He is God, that He is Messiah. We start to doubt that we should place our trust in Him and and, and ask Him for mercy because we don't see Him act. And maybe that's the crowd saying, be quiet. Maybe, Maybe for us, it's that we just don't see a way that God can work. I have been very chastened by our Lord many times on situations that I thought were impossible. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pray for the fun of it, I guess. You ever have prayers like that? I'm going to pray, but I really don't think God's going to work here because I don't think it's possible. And God says, keep praying. Keep praying. See, the issue of persistency is often the issue of my timetable or God's timetable. Do I I want things when I want them? Yeah, we do. Am I willing to wait, trusting that He is the Son of David? Am I willing to wait for His timing? See, the God of mercy is aware of the man. And we're going to find that out in the next verse. And He'll call him at just the right time. Don't let your circumstances keep you from being thankful. Don't let them keep you from seeking God. Let them drive you to your knees. If you have things in your life that you've been praying about for years, maybe people to come to know the Lord, maybe something in your life that you just wish would change, keep bringing it to God. God still is there. He still wants to hear. He is still listening. Keep bringing it to the Son of David and see what He will do. Be persistent. So we read on in verses 49 and 50. We see the next attitude in Bartimaeus. We need to be willing to give up our old life and seek Jesus. Be willing to give up our old life and our problems and seek Jesus. Let's read. Verse 49, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him! That was a sacred moment. I would have loved to see that moment. The crowd going, the press, he hears the man begging for mercy with a heart that's placing himself at the disposal of the Master, and he stops the crowd. And I can just picture everyone sort of hushing. And maybe not, but that's just my conjecture. Because if the Master stops, you're like, And I can picture them listening and Jesus saying, call him. Call him. And at that moment, we see the God of mercy. We see that the Creator of all things is a servant. We see chapter 10, verse 45 worked out. Call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, and these three things are great, take heart, which literally means be of good cheer, be encouraged, take courage. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. 
That'll preach. Take heart because He's calling you. Get up because He's calling you. In verse 50, He does those three things. And throwing off His cloak, He sprang up and came to Jesus. I love this part of the story because it's the the, the part of action. It's the part where everything changes. Jesus stops on His way to the cross for this one man to show Him into the kingdom, to show Him mercy. If you look at those three things, take heart, corresponding in verse 50, sort of 49 and 50 go together in parallel. The crowd said, take heart. Verse 50 he threw off his cloak. And I say, well, well, what difference is that? He threw off everything that represented his life as a blind man. Their cloak was often their only possession. It was the, the means, like I said, of gaining money, because that's where people put their money. It was what they slept with to stay warm. It's how they stayed warm. It represented everything that was discouraging, that held him down. And so the instruction to take heart, to be encouraged, to, to see things differently, that God was going to change things, corresponds with, you know what? I'm throwing away what's holding me down. I'm throwing away the things that have been terrorizing my soul. His best possession, his means of supporting himself. And he leaves it. He leaves it. And for us, we're thinking, well, he can come back and get it. As a blind man, when you leave something somewhere, you're giving it up. You're giving it up. Second, get up. And we see he sprang up. He moved. He got into, he got into action. He responded when Jesus called. He's not healed yet. He doesn't know how Jesus is going to work. I love His Spirit here. It's, it's, I'm going to get up and obey and I don't know what's going to happen. And He threw the cloak aside. And He came to Jesus. Verse 49, He is calling you. Verse 50, the obedience. He came to Jesus. A joyful, reckless response that we saw over and over and over again, Simon and Andrew, James and John, they were called, they dropped their nets, their old life, and followed. Levi, Matthew at the tax booth, he was called, he dropped his old life, and followed Christ. Bartimaeus, he was called, he dropped everything that represented his old life, and followed Christ. If we are to be disciples, God asks us to be willing to drop everything and to drop everything of our old life. The things that hold us in in the bondage of sin. The things that keep us from following God. And that's hard to do. We, We wrestle with that our whole lives in the process of sanctification. And I, I, I am amazed that Bartimaeus just did it. It's gone. And he sprang up to follow the Master. And so many times when things are troubling us, we, for whatever reason, we're almost frightened to let go of things. We're frightened to let go of anger. We're frightened to let go of, of hurt 
Because for some reason we're afraid that if I let go of a hurt in situation, I'm no longer the victim. I'm no longer able to get help. And we make our identity in these things of the old man, things from the fallen world that God wants us to have nothing to do with. Because they all represent not trusting our Savior. In this part of the story, we see a contrast with the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler? What must I do to enter the kingdom? Jesus talks about the commandments. Then he says, you know what? You need to go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. And he got to the heart of what his dearest possession was and the man couldn't let it go. Bartimaeus didn't even have to be asked about the coat. His dearest possession, probably his only possession. He dropped it and left all and followed the king. Be willing to give up your old life to leave problems and seek Jesus. There's no room in discipleship for one foot holding on to the things we love about the world and one foot seeking Christ. There's no, that's not called discipleship. Discipleship always gives all to God and follows the Master. Finally, in the last two verses, the last attitude we see of discipleship in a difficult circumstance is gratefully live out your faith by following Christ. Gratefully live out your faith by following Christ. Celebrate what God has done and use it to strengthen your walk. Whether it's in good times, whether it's in difficult times, celebrate what God has done. Verse 51 and 52. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Same question he asked the disciples, but different attitude here. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, a term, my dear rabbi, a term of endearment and respect, let me recover my sight. Again, it's not demanding. It's not trying to force Jesus' hand. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And we get to the physical needs now. We get to the, the world that we live in. Now that his heart has, has sought after Christ and his heart has acknowledged that he is the King and the Messiah, now we get to this request. And because the heart is right, Jesus said to him, Go your way, in verse 52, Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And in this case, God chose to heal the man from his physical infirmity. We know from other places in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't always heal. Because it's his timetable. It's his plan. It's what he's trying to accomplish. But in this case, the man is healed. And it's an interesting difference between what Jesus said he could do and what he did. Did you catch that? Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you, made you well. And in this case, the man didn't quite do that. But it wasn't disobedience. Because the man changed his way from his home, from everything in his life. He changed his way to, to wanting to follow Christ. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Imitated. Follow the leader. And he joined the crowd, but, but by so many things in the passage, it really looks like he became a disciple. 
the very fact that Mark names him, and Mark rarely named people in, in, in healings, that he was named probably means he was active and known in the early church. The, the term for following him on the way was a term that was often used for discipleship. This man becomes a follower of Christ in every sense, a disciple. God did something, had mercy, had compassion, healed his physical need. And the man responded by saying, I'm going to follow you with my life. I'm going to follow you with my life. And I see an attitude of gratefulness. Not, ha, I'm finally healed. It's about time. But an attitude that owes Christ everything. And when we come to Thanksgiving, it's, it's a time that we must realize we owe Christ everything. This morning we sang the song, Thank You, and we thanked Him for His kindness and His mercy and His love, His sacrifice on the cross. And it said there is no other like You that couldn't have come from anyone else. And that's the attitude of thanksgiving that we come to. You might still be thinking, but Pastor Ron, it has not been a good year. There are things in my life that I can't get past. This Thanksgiving, come and recognize Jesus. Recognize the Son of David. Recognize that He is a God of mercy. And thank Him for using whatever that is to draw you close to Him. Start there. And see what He does through that. See what He does through that. Gratefully live out your faith by following Christ. A story of a simple blind guy. But we see a heart of a servant. A heart of a child coming to the kingdom. A man that's willing to give up all to follow Christ, holding nothing back. Who becomes a follower. And I can just picture, and this is a little bit of conjecture, but I can just picture this man, now that he's a follower of Christ, can't help but telling others, can't help but saying, this is what God did in my life. In the last few weeks, we've had several in the church that have come to a saving faith in Christ. And I love it because their passion is a passion we need to see. This is what God has done in my life. And, and you, you can't keep people from telling people, others about Christ when they're first saved. I pray that that's the passion we all have. God has had mercy on every one of us. God has walked through difficult and good times with every one of us. We have good news to share. Will we share it? Thanksgiving and Christmas are great times to bring up the topic. People want to know what you're thankful for. Okay, you asked. People want to know what what Christmas is about. Tell them. Don't be afraid to tell them. Lord God, our Father, I pray that You would use Your church and Your body this Christmas to touch lives in a way like we've never done before. Lord, to set aside some of our routines and traditions, think outside the box and say, how can I touch someone's life for Christ? How can I be a servant? Use us, Lord God, as tools in your hand. 
In Jesus' name, amen.